Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, good morning, everyone. We left off with a message on the rapture of the church, God's people, and what that day might look like to some extent. But then chronologically speaking, what happens next? We've been caught up in the clouds to the Lord in a sudden moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In Matthew 24, Jesus provides some answers to what happens next to that question. So we'll begin our study time. If you would make your way over to Matthew chapter 24, we will spend the bulk of our time in Matthew 24, where Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's giving his what's called the discourse to his disciples. His disciples just heard some very difficult news and they were asking questions about when this would happen and and Jesus replies to them and he does so in a parable. The first 45 verses in the chapter deal with the topic of Israel and what will happen to them post-rapture. And then in verse 46 where we'll begin and on through chapter 25, Jesus shares what happens to those raptured saints as well as those Gentiles who've rejected his offer of salvation after his second coming. Number one, we have the three judgments of the church. It's important to remember that we who have been redeemed will not be judged for our sin. Now, that was taken care of by the cross of Christ. When Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered sin, our sin, and he offered it to you and I as a gift that we could be forgiven if we would come to Jesus and we would surrender ourselves to him and surrender our life and our sin to him, he in exchange would give us his righteousness so that we could come to the Father. The judgment here is an award ceremony, really, for the way we believers used our time, our talent, and our treasure, which God entrusted to us during our lifetime. What was done for self-glory and satisfaction will be burnt up into ashes. But what was done for God's glory in his kingdom will result in eternal rewards and crowns for us, which we will later on cast at the feet of Jesus Christ. Let's begin with letter A in your notes, the judgment of faithful and unfaithful believers. Jesus is once again speaking in parable here in Matthew 24:45, and it's him, it's his voice that's speaking here. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus likens his father's people on earth like a household, and every household has a servant who's placed in charge of feeding those who live there. 
This is primarily a reference to pastors and other spiritual leaders, but it also includes servants in the church who are tasked with providing spiritual food, sound biblical teaching, and encouragement in order to nourish the saints within the body of believers. The Apostle Peter understood this principle and wrote about it in his letter over in 1 Peter chapter 5, where he states, The elders who are among you I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. It is an awesome and sobering calling to be a pastor or a leader or a teacher or a deacon in the church. It's a task that has both a promise and a call of prudence to the work. Remember, the sheep are those he died for and loves beyond description, and we are those he's entrusted to care for and feed until his return when he'll give us a report card on how we did. I don't take this lightly, not at all. I do it with fear and trembling each week. I take the admonishment as both a chilling and an encouragement. God has called us to lead and care for His people. They are not my people. They are God's people. They are Jesus Christ. He shed His blood, literally suffered, so that the church could come back to the Father. It's His church. The pastor of a church is called to serve up hearty truth meals from God's Word, which the sheep then feed on and grow into healthy and effective servants of the Lord. If a servant has been faithful, then when the Lord raptures his home, there will be a crown of glory for their faithfulness. If not, there will be a great disappointment coming for them. The pain of realizing the lost and squandered opportunity they were given will feel like they've been cut in half. These servants will feel a disappointment over the loss of positional service during the millennium uh, rule, while the faithful receive honored places of service to the King of Kings for a thousand years. So my question this morning is, how are you stewarding your time, your talent, and your treasure? All three matter a lot. We've seen letter A, the judgment of the faithful and unfaithful believers. And next we see letter B, the judgment of the ready and the unready waiters. What I mean by the word waiter isn't the person that's going to come to your table at lunch and, and bring you your things, but those who are waiting for the Lord's return. It's always on their mind. They're always wondering if today is today, the day that the Lord comes back. Chapter 25 now, we move over there. Jesus continues, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, here's another parable, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. They filled their lamp with oil, but they didn't bring any extra, five of them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. 
And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. In the first century Judeo culture, a couple would get engaged. The groom would then spend about a year building on a small add-on apartment to his father's home. Then when all was ready, the father would give the son his permission to go and get his bride and bring her back to her new home. This was about a year Immediately following their return, the father would throw a big marriage supper celebration. So get this in your mind. They've been working on this home. They've been getting everything just right in preparation for the bride to come. And so the groom is building this place and the father's probably helping him. And at some point, the groom turns to his father and says, now, can I bring her home now? And the father looks and and it could be at any moment, any time of day, he says, go get your bride. We're ready. And off would go the, the, the groom, and he would excitedly walk through the village to his bride's home. And everybody would be going, are you gonna, is today the day? And, and he's excited. He goes and he brings her back to his home. And immediately, there's a huge celebration that breaks out. Usually the father's announcement for approval for this night would come as a surprise to everyone. From the bride to the household servant, no one knew when the father was going to tell the son, go get your bride. So they had to stay, remain in a state of readiness for that exciting moment. When the father turns to the son and says, go get my kids, go get, go get your bride, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. There's no time to get ready. In the Lord's parable, the bridegroom has already been given permission to go get the bride, and they're on their way back to their new home where the party is about to take place. Half of the bridesmaids, the virgins as Scripture calls them, aren't ready because they didn't anticipate the return of the groom, and they're running out of oil for their lamps. The other half are ready for his return, and they're rewarded greatly. Listen, my friends. The world is getting increasingly dark. So you have to have oil in your lamp and oil in your flask at all times. You cannot let your, your lamp burn out. Jesus said in the, at, at the last days, the love of many will grow cold. They run out of oil and their lamp goes out. Don't do that. Stay ready by being ready. Now we see letter C, the judgment of the profitable and the wasteful servants. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, here's another parable, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. He's entrusting his wealth to these three servants. And to one he gave five talents. A talent is about 20 years 
of wages. It's a lot of money. To another, two. And to another, one. So the three servants, one got five, one got two, and one got one talent. And he immediately went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. He invested them very wisely. And likewise, he who had two gained two more also. He doubled his money. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered two to me, two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. In effect, he's saying that would have been okay, but you didn't even do that. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The wages here represent the amount of time, talent, and treasure that the Lord has entrusted to each of these servants. To some, God has provided much capacity. To others, less. Notice the master only holds them accountable for the gifts and ability he's given to each servant. God expects you and I to multiply those gifts no matter what the amount is. Whether you're a five, you have five talents of gifts or a time, talent, and treasure or whether you have you know, two or whether you have one, whatever it is, he expects us to take that and invest it in the kingdom. God expects you and I to multiply those gifts based on the capacity of the gifting He's provided to each one of us. Notice that God does not reward the first two servants based on their portions, but on their proportions. It's kind of a financial situation there. The one who took five and invested it and got five more was rewarded the same as the one who had two and got two more. And notice this. In that sentence, I tried to punch it out. He calls them servants, but then because they were wise with their time, talent, and treasure, suddenly he promotes them. Did you catch that? They're rulers. You will rule over much. Conversely, the third servant was so afraid of failure, he never attempted to succeed. 
How sad. But he was so gripped with fear that he just buried the time, talent, and treasure that the master had entrusted to him. And so the master's response was to take it away from him and give it to the first servant. I used to believe that this third servant wasn't a believer, and so God threw him into hell. But we have to keep in mind here that it's dangerous to build theology on the foundations of a parable. Jesus is telling a story with truth in it, obviously, but you can't, I don't think you can build or should not build theology on his parables. I now believe that, that this is a saved servant who just refuses to engage in the Lord's kingdom building opportunities down here on earth and therefore misses out on the great heavenly reward which God has for all who have lived their lives sacrificially, faithfully, multiplying His kingdom while they could in their lifetime, utilizing that time, talent, and treasure and a portion that would honor God. That servant gets there and yes, they will... They are greeted to come into heaven. They will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. But they miss out on the blessing of the millennium when all of us will rule with Christ. They miss out on perhaps a position of honor from the Lord, from the King, really. We've seen what takes place with believers right after the rapture. Now, Jesus jumps to number two, the second coming and the judgment of the Gentiles. As we prepare to finish our reading today, it's important to take note of the three people referred to in this next passage. We're going to hear about the sheep, we're going to hear about the goats, and we're going to hear about the brethren. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, this is a reference to His second coming. Now Jesus jumps ahead to the second coming. And all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. Where is that? In the city of Jerusalem. And He's going to rule and reign as Lord from there. All the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. It's so important to pull things apart so that you understand how they work. There's no comma in between my and brethren or between these and my brethren. If there was a comma there, he would be talking to the sheep. But he's not. There's no comma there. So who's he talking to? He's talking about Jesus' brethren. Who are they? How did they get into this story? Well, letter A, the brethren. Let's talk about them. What nationality is the man Jesus? He is Jewish. Who would be his brothers? Other Jews. How did they become Christians, these Jews? Most from the testimonies of the 144,000 witnesses during the tribulation. 
To put this in context, in the context of our story, these are the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the sick, and in prison redeemed Jews. Why are they described this way? Because Satan, during the tribulation, is still seeking the total annihilation of God's people. You think it's bad for them right now? And yes, the world is beginning to turn against the Jews once more. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. But here we are again. But during the tribulation, it's going to be hell on earth, especially for the Jew. These are those Jews who refuse the mark of the beast. They fall under the devil's wrath. Who does Jesus say helped his brethren? The sheep. The sheep are believing Gentiles. Tribulation saints who are saved during the tribulation period. And these are the people who feed and take care of these persecuted Christian Jews. During the latter three and a half years of the tribulation, they provide food, Jesus says, water, and so much more. The clothing they visit, they invite them into their homes to protect them in all likelihood. They're doing everything they can to help God's people. This is one of the most beautiful acts of love in all the Bible. They do so with absolutely no expectation of repayment or benefit from their receiving the Jewish brothers and sisters. In fact, they're not even aware that they've done this for Jesus. They just did it because of their love for a fellow believer. And Jesus is touched by their sacrificial love and service to His brethren, the Jews. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The book of Revelation reveals that these tribulation saints will receive a special reward from Christ Himself. The Apostle John sees them in his vision. Here's the account, his account from chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I, John says, I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They've come to Christ. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who was in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. Wow. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let her see the goats on the left. They're the, the final of the three subjects here, nouns. Verse 41, Then He, Jesus, will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from Me, you cursed, 
into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, and he's pointing to his brethren, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. I'll close with this. As you well know by now, Israel was the target of a brutal terrorist attack that rivaled our 9-11 attacks. We began to pray for them as a church. We discovered that after taking care of all our own established missionaries, we still had a balance for October and November in our missions giving of $5,000. After more prayer, we all agreed to send this balance over to the Jewish Christian church that's ministering to these distraught families. They're setting up tents and shelter and getting them out of the cold and the rain because they literally lost everything, including at times their loved ones. And we sent them a gift of $5,000. The church is called Beit Elihu Messianic Congregation. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me, Jesus said. You did this for my brothers. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.